This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And Jarrett, you've started a series at City Limits with The Nation, uh, looking at the mayor's record as he approaches re-election. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Well, so we call it Issues 2017, and um, the purpose is to look at the, the issues and the challenges that we would be talking about if the mayor's race was a competitive race, which it does not seem to be at this point, but issues that are of importance to the city and that whoever is elected, presumably uh, Bill de Blasio re-elected in November, will have to deal with. The first one looked at his record on immigration, um, obviously a, a very urgent issue right after the Trump inauguration. Um, you know, the verdict was that there had been a tremendous amount of effort and progress, but there were areas where some advocates detected a certain timidity on the mayor's part, um, and also just limits to the power of the city to really protect the people it was hoping to protect. Uh, the more recent one is looking at the mayor's homelessness plan, the Turning the Tide plan, which was released in late February, his response to the ongoing climb in homeless numbers, and his plan to create 90 new shelters over five years to end the use of cluster site apartments and hotel rooms, uh, to try to create high-quality shelters, and talking about what that plan is, not just in the context of his mayoralty, where there have been some fits and starts about homelessness, but the whole broad fabric of the city's response to homelessness since the Koch era. And really, I think it's fair to say that de Blasio has done as much, if not more, than any mayor to address that issue, creating the LINK program to uh, place a lot of people in permanent apartments, um, restarting the connection between homeless shelters and the Section 8 program and NYCHA, which Bloomberg had cut off, uh, attempting to, you know, improve shelter quality in some meaningful ways. But what all advocates told me is that we have a housing problem that is fueling the homelessness problem. And it's a problem of a lack of affordable housing that is permanent. And that creating new shelters, while a more humane response to the management issue, doesn't materially affect um, the underlying crisis that's generating those numbers. I was really struck by that aspect of the piece and the look at de Blasio's homelessness plan, which is basically like this new plan, yeah, it's about sort of managing the 60,000 number of homeless people, but the goal over five years is just to reduce it to 57,500. It is much more, as the piece pointed to and the commentary in the piece pointed to, about better management, more humane conditions, keeping people closer to their neighborhoods. Again, these are sort of laudable things, but the this is not like a strike force, blitzkrieg, crisis management plan to reduce homelessness by drastic numbers. No, it isn't. And I think the explanation for that is, and what people don't realize about Mayor de Blasio sometimes because of the way he's portrayed in the press, is that there is actually a tremendous amount of ideological consistency um, within the administration. There is uh, a plan or there is a set of feelings the mayor feels very strongly about. And much of this is driven by his feelings around housing and development. Some of the same issues that come up in discussing his housing plan, the rezonings, come up in homelessness, which is that the city housing resources that he's creating, he wants to apportion those broadly around uh, across different income groups. He really does believe that um, you know, cops and firefighters or secretaries and teachers need affordable housing too, and that's why his plan, although it has recently been tailored to focus more on low-income tiers, does spread affordable housing to families that have uh, you know, incomes in the sort of low uh, six figures. Right. It, yeah. I mean, that's one of the most interesting aspects of this debate because you have a lot of housing advocates and advocates for the poor 
who and homeless people who you know are saying the mayor's plan doesn't go deep enough for affordability it's not it should be so so focused on people with very limited income if any uh and really just housing 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 for people who otherwise would be in shelter right Mm -hmm. and that makes a lot of sense in some ways but also it makes a lot of sense to say you know living expenses in new york city are so high that you do need affordable housing that has rent caps for middle income folks Mm -hmm. and when the mayor talks about needing to have some of this plan for teachers and firefighters that resonates you know that that makes sense too i think so you know one of the things whether it's homelessness or affordable housing i also think about this with all the stuff that's flared up over rikers island and the jails and i also think about this with nycha you know these are some of these huge problems that the mayor rightfully i think says you know we walked into some major crises and we're chipping away at them and we're making progress but you don't undo decades of um you know downward spiral in three and a half years absolutely and i think you know, that, that the mayor's position is defensible the counter argument is that you hear from advocates is that you know the, the number of apartments units that the city is going to preserve or create is relatively small compared to the need however you decide to kind of structure that need or how you, however you depict it um, and that you know the housing is going to have um, positive and negative byproducts the question of how it will change some neighborhoods is there so that if you are going to put down uh, public resources and it's going to be a limited number of those resources you should conser- you know concentrate them where the need is is greatest and I think when it comes back to the housing plan, that is an interesting aspect of what de Blasio has preserved, pr- proposed, because on the one hand, advocates are saying this is not really going to solve this problem. Um, and on the other hand, uh, it's a plan that's fraught with political risk. I mean, building 90 new homeless shelters in a city where one of the big stories of the past year has been very rather ugly protests in some neighborhoods against uh, plans for, for shelters. And the mayor is going into a, a election year, promising to do just more of that. Uh, politically, it's actually rather courageous. Right. Uh, and I think you've you've and, looked and, into in the, some of the aspects of the rollout. Right. And I'm continuing to look at that and, and working on something on how they, you know, the policy and the politics are inseparable here. And on just about everything, that's the case. And you know, one thing that while Mayor De Blasio sort of has some of these, as I was pointing to a minute ago, some of these sort of good theoretical points that he's making. For him, so much winds up coming down to both the politics, which they often wind up not being that good at in terms of validators and alliances and like how they decide to roll something out, which, you know, again, it's sort of insane to me and and I think many others that they said, oh, you know, several of the first five, you know, three of the first five are going to be in central Brooklyn of these new shelters. And it's like, hold on a second. Are you, what are you, what are you trying to do here, you know, politically? Um... And so, you know, I think there's there's real questions about not only where they decided the first few would go. I think those were already in the pipeline when he announced the plan, but it's just sort of bad politics and implementation. And then the other thing that I just sort of can't get over is this 90 number. Why, why announce this 90 number? That's all that anybody, that has stuck with anybody. Mm-hmm. is that there's going to be 90 new homeless shelters. You can say, some people say, oh, yes, and they're getting out of cluster sites and they're getting out of commercial hotels. Some. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, especially his critics, 
they just talk about 90 new shelters and nobody wants to hear that. So, you know, it's so true. And, and that's an interesting commentary on sort of the, the perils of transparency right. and how, and how transparent you are, right? And this has come up before. When the mayor talked about how he wanted to do neighborhood-wide rezonings in, I think he initially said 15 neighborhoods, he named the first seven or eight. Instantly, we all, and by we I mean city limits, want to know, well, who are the other seven, right? right? Uh, they talked about the NYCHA campuses where development might be appropriate. I think they mentioned that ultimately some 80 might be, you know, places where it's possible to do some infill work that would that would make sense. They announced, I think, six to ten of them so far. Obviously, folks want to know who are the other 70. Um, so, but if you say, but if they give you the list, right. then those their argument is that then those communities could get all in an uproar before they even have in you know a study and before there's even a proposal and you get people pushing back on the idea of rezoning before they even have any real idea about what that's going to look like so right. I, I get that and, right. I, and when i say wow how do you put this 90 number out i give them some credit for putting a number on it we always right we do want to know the details when they're vague right but when they give that detail without i guess the 90 sites showing how they'd be spread across wealthier neighborhoods as well. I guess that's where the problem is. Or there could me, be a, it, there could be a game inside a game where you, you know, as happens sometimes with the budget, right? You announce a deficit that you expect for next year that is far larger <laughs> than it actually will be. And then when the numbers come in, it's lower and you can say, look, the deficit ended up not being quite that bad. You so know? if so, in June so he says, he yeah. says, actually we're only going to need seventy. Right. Oh, that's good. Look, they so that that's possible too. And and obviously right. I think you know when you think of when you think of that and, and talking of the budget brings us to one of the other figures that uh, will loom large in the mayor's race, which is uh, President President Trump. Yeah, I mean clearly Mayor De Blasio because he has a limited field of opponents, um, or even not because of that, is sort of running against the Trump ethos and the Trump administration in some ways and Donald Trump and his potential threats to New York City or actual threats to New York City. But you guys are looking at the Trump phenomenon and the Trump impact in a very specific way as well. Yeah, very nitty gritty. I mean, so much, and it makes sense, so much of the uh, furor and interest in the president so far has been about really big ticket issues, um, very emotive issues, immigration, war, um, obviously his treatment of women. Uh, but in the city, it's going to have and already is having a much more granular, granular effect. And so we're looking at that in the series we call Next 100 Days, you know, looking at how the movements they've made on Medicaid has affected the state's attempt to improve Medicaid services for folks getting out of prison as part of making reentry easier. Uh, we've looked also at how it might affect the Wolf Alport site, the radioactive site that's under the Superfund program out on the Brooklyn-Queens border, where there aren't polluters who can pay for the cleanup, so it might fall in the trust fund, and that's something that the Trump administration has talked about cutting. Most recently, we looked at Cypress Hills, that neighborhood in Brooklyn, and some of the ways that cuts to programs um, that the Trump administration has talked about might affect uh, what people think have been essential tools for improving the neighborhood, making it a much more decent place for low-income people to live, including some after-school programs that the Trump administration has called out specifically as being ineffective. So there are all these ways where well below the headlines and the furor about you know, uh, intelligence being shared or the Comey memos, mm -hmm. um, people in New York are going to be affected on a kind of very granular, nitty-gritty policy level. It's interesting, I mean, looking at that as as just straight substance is obviously really important. It's great that you're doing that to go to the other side, which is sort of this po political side, you know, watching the initial Republican primary, you know, um, 
ruckus in the mayor's race. And now, you know, it looks like the two main competitors are Paul Massey and Nicole Maliotakis. You know, the other day, uh, Paul Massey had a press conference with Michael Faulkner, who dropped from the mayoral race, is now running for controller on the GOP side, and they endorsed each other. And Faulkner's a big supporter of Donald Trump, whereas Massey has distanced himself. Massey calls himself sort of an independent-minded businessman. He's not really, like, trying to brand himself as a Republican, especially a national Republican. And so, you know, there, there was questions at this press conference. Mr. Faulkner, you're a big supporter of Donald Trump. Mr. Massey didn't vote for him. He wrote in Michael Bloomberg, so he says. Um, you know, how do you square that? You know, you've said if Mr. Massey isn't supportive of Donald Trump, that's a big problem. And, you know, Massey's response is the mayor wants this to be a conversation about Donald Trump, but this isn't. This is the mayoral race is about Bill de Blasio, not Donald Trump. And that is a really fascinating thing that has, I think, been raised to a higher level this week. Um, we don't want to predict what's going to happen in Washington, but it's clear that the sharing of the intelligence and now the memo from uh, ousted FBI Director James Comey at least raise the chances, chances that President Trump is not going to be president for four years. <laughs> right. That is at least a possibility, right? Mm -hmm. And very quickly, all of our politics had become wrapped around Trumpism mm -hmm. as, as the poll. You're either for or against it. De Blasio has been running against Trump since really the day after the election. Uh, if Trump is moved to the sidelines, um, if he uh, resigns, is impeached, mm -hmm. vanishes someday, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how our local politics react because the fact is that the kind of problems we're documenting in the series about environmental funding, uh, nutrition support, support for after-school programs are likely to persist even if he's replaced by another Republican. Well, let's talk about this for one <coughs> second. It, you know, we shouldn't go too far down this rabbit hole, but if Donald Trump is impeached or resigns and Mike Pence becomes president, the problems that Bill de Blasio and others are, are warning about are going to come much faster and much more coherently. Because Mike Pence will very, would very likely run a much more functional White House, would work with members of Congress in a way that Trump isn't, and they would pass through a, I think, a vast portfolio of pretty far right policies that the mayor is worried about and has been warning about. Right, right. So, Mike Pence has the same sharp sword, but he knows how to tie his shoes, basically. We'll see, but there's a better chance that he can, for sure. And I don't think, you know, there would be as much concern about, you know, sort of this total lack of coordination and mismanagement of, you know, staff and ineptitude that Donald Trump brings to whatever he does. Uh, you know, I think sort of the worst nightmare scenario for Mayor de Blasio in terms of real policy is a Mike Pence presidency. Um, now we're far, far away from that, but I think it's a one of those sort of be careful what you wish for type things or, or watch out, you know, for, for the unintended consequences. Well, Ben, on that note, I think I'll sign off because I have to go write a detailed memo of this meeting for my records. Good. Keep a paper trail. I will, always.